you know, if you get that right skill set in the business, you know, you can form, it doesn't have to be a massive department. You've got one or two people that understand and you don't try and sell it by yourself. You go in as a team. No one person ever wins everything all the time anyway. It's, it's pointless, right? So you have technical salespeople that understand the supply chain. You go in, because it's about, it's still about relationships. The relationship's never going to change, right? The relationship you have with that initial sales guy, you bring in a, a broader team that help you sell you know, a much broader suite of services. You know, the stickiness you get with your customer, you show that you care about them more, you know, and it's not just about 18 cents or you know, $25 on a container. You get so much more and you're getting to understand their business. You live and breathe as if you are the customer. Welcome to Supply Chain Connections. I'm Brian Glick, founder and CEO at Chain.io. On today's episode, we have Graham Parker of Gravity Supply Chain. Graham is one of those lucky people who has had the opportunity to work on sort of all aspects of the industry from the retailer side and the service provider side and now the software side. And so we're going to talk a lot about what happens in the first mile and what happens in the upstream part of supply chain before the logistics processes. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Graham, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me. Why don't we start by just giving the audience a little bit of your background and kind of how your journey through the industry evolved. Yeah, sure. So I've been in the industry now for the uh, best part of 40 years. I only ever actually worked for uh, four companies, two of which I started myself. So quite loyal to the industry, quite loyal to my previous employees. But I uh, started out uh, in uh, logistics supply chain, working for a rather large uh, logistics 3PL company in the UK that were acquired by large Asian organizations. I did about 17 years there. Worked my way up through air freight, ocean freight. And then the last 10 years was doing pretty much looking after their, uh, their blue chip SCM clients and looking on the technology side that they, they were quite, a, they were quite well advanced in the early nineties on technology anyway. So I uh, got into the understanding of, of understanding the true end to end supply chain. Then went and worked for a, a rather large UK retailer was tasked with setting up the whole of their import department and then taking it to a supply chain level and then looking after the supply end as well. So looked end-to-end supply chain, B2C was really becoming quite prominent at that point. So just essentially they moved from being a landed product-led business to you know, buying FOB design-led business. And with that, obviously, they had to transform their entire supply chain and then set about setting up a couple of uh, supply chain companies and the latter one being Gravity. So explain for me and for the audience what you were just saying about the difference between you know a landed supply chain and an fob supply chain explain that to me like i'm six okay right so basically the difference is someone just delivers a load of product to your door you've kind of bought it but you have no say in it you're buying off of a landed supplier so they're responsible for managing the supply chain you're only responsible for bringing that into the dc right there's specific timelines that it has to be met to meet the consumer demand but basically you just go around looking at catalogs meeting companies and buying products then you become a design-led product so you start designing it in-house you become more attached to what your clients really really want and you're driving the, essentially the new trends and, and and all the things that you really want that business to go to so you're then in control of your supply chain you obviously you're reducing a huge amount of costs and will come out because you're cutting out middlemen essentially but then you've got the added benefit pressures of you've got to get your manufacturing base right you've got to get your uh, factories right you've got to get your sourcing right and then obviously you've got the supply chain on the back end of that so and we were doing the best part of 20 25,000 t's a year when we started and that grew to about 60,000 t's so when you started gravity 
you sort of doubled down on companies that are at that phase, right? And the, this idea of, of managing your entire supply chain instead of just delivering things to your customers. Yeah, essentially, yeah. It was more around, you know, bringing the technology into the client, into the BCO, with very much as a user-based led approach, but with a customer focus. So, you know, look at the customer, look at your demands, and then bring that all the way back into the supply chain. So trying to get into the order management and execute change at the order level rather than just giving some kind of visibility. That was my goal when I set Gravity up, purely because I'd done that at New Look, right? So that was the UK retail I was working for. So we were able to just really redefine, re-engineer or create a new supply chain. But that gave me so much knowledge on the buying floor about how these guys really operate. And that's what I wanted to bring into the technology side of Gravity. So what's the impact that really owning that early stage PO management and the factory relationship, what kind of impact does that have for businesses? Yeah, I mean, the collaboration piece between the purchase order, the buyers, whether it's a buying house, whether it's a vendor, whether it's the factories, retailers or BCO shippers typically work in a very low level, right? So understanding at the earliest opportunity, if something's going to go wrong, even if the raw materials are late, you typically don't get to hear that until it's too late. You have a plan, right? You have a range and you have a series of dates and they move. The purchase order moves many, many times. It's not just one PO's raise and it doesn't change. You know, there's dates change, quantities change, price, all kinds of things mitigate you know, into that purchase order that, that has significant impact on the intake plan date, right? So the earlier you understand that something's going to go wrong and inside that first mile, typically that's the cheap well, it, A, it's the easiest place to fix. It's certainly the cheapest place to fix, but you've got a significant amount of time between that purchase order being manufactured and coming out. And if it's going to be late, fix it at the first mile and rather than trying to you know, get to the last 15 or 16 days before you realize you've got a problem to meet, you know, customer expectations. Yeah, that's always kind of a, an interesting thing for me as we look at, you know, for instance, people looking at the inside the port visibility at the destination port. Yeah. And you say, well, by that point in the process, you know, no pun intended, but the ship has already sailed. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> There's very, very little that can be done besides apologizing to your customer. At that point, right? And you think most of these BCOs, Brian, they work on ranges and plans. You know, they work on seasons. This stuff's been engineered 180, 200 days in advance, right? So your optimizers, your merchandisers, people on that buying floor, you know, when it's only two weeks out, there's little they can do. They've got commitments on stores. They've got commitments on promotions, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. You know, even just sold merchandise, right? It's better to fix it when you know there's a problem. And especially if that problem was late coming out of the factory, that was 90, 100 days ago. So fix it at that point. Right. Or understand there's a problem at that point. So you can change, right? And, and for me, it was more around giving everybody the same set of data, the same access to the data, and making plans more visible throughout the entire business units rather than just the import guys or the supply chain guys looking at it in a consolidated view and saying, okay, well, Inside there, there's some orders. Inside there, there's some SKUs or some parts and some styles. Give them the data in the world that they work in, not in a consolidated view where you have to take it and crunch it somewhere else. So when I was much younger, I worked at a forwarder and customs broker who spun out a company very similar to Gravity, right? And we were doing order management and you know helping companies see their production schedules and their you know, carton labeling and all of these things upstream. And that... Well, I think when we started down that path as a forwarder and broker, we sort of said, oh, well, we'll build a website and the rest of this will be easy. 
what is it that that forwarders and even now carriers who want to be supply chain management companies, what do they miss? What do they not understand about what makes this hard? Well, I don't think they understand necessarily the inner workings of the company, so the people that they're serving, right? So you've got to get very close to your customer, work like your customer does. And, you know, managing it from port to port or, you know, X factory to arrival DC, that's one thing. But if you've got to get into the lowest level of detail. I think that's what they miss. They don't understand what happens inside the factories, you know, the work in progress piece, the QA, the QC, all of these things has an impact or potential impact on risk and delay, right? So I don't think they understand the true risk of, managing the supply chain down into the lowest level, which is what you and I buy, right? You buy a shirt, you're not buying the whole container's worth of shirts, you're buying a shirt. You know, and certain shirts and certain colours will sell quicker than others. And that's where these import departments, you know, they can see it at a high level, we give them down to that lowest level, back into the way that the buyers, the optimizers, the merchandisers, these guys need to work. We need to deliver data at the same level that they work at. And I think that's what a lot of people miss. It's not that they can't do it. They just miss that because it's not part of their core. So I'm going to try to uh, trigger you to say something controversial here, but we'll see what happens. Do you think that logistics providers should try to become supply chain companies, or is this the an industry headed down the wrong path? It's an interesting one, right? Because there's no reason why they shouldn't. I mean, the customer has two options, right? Be agnostic, but you still need the logistics company. So why not encourage the logistics company to be the true? And there are a lot of good three and four PL providers out there. There really are. But there's nothing to stop, you know, a freight forward and wanting to move up, right? If you're happy just making you know, four, five, six percent, well, I guess it's not even as much as that, two or three percent on a box and live like that for the rest of your life. But I'm sure there's, and they've been around for centuries. So it's probably wrong of me to say that they might not be around forever. But I think, you know, the consumer wants more. Therefore, the customer demands more from the providers that give them the services, right? So I think you should always look to get closer, get stickier with your customer. So, yeah, why shouldn't they be? What kind of skills or what do they need to do with their staff if they want to participate better in this larger ecosystem? Yeah, you've got to stop selling freight and freight. You don't go in just selling boxes if you want to be a supply chain, you know, if you want to manage supply chain management rights. Again, it's understanding your customer, understanding what the role the technology can play in evolving those companies up. So they just need to understand or get to understand supply chain management more than anything else, you know, understanding that it's a purchase order and understanding a connected view across that entire stakeholder base, internal and external, what that delivers, right? So the value of giving an end-to-end supply chain versus the value of just trying to nick 50 bucks on a container or five cents on a kilo of air freight or whatever. It's wildly different. There is an upsell in that. And I think from the freight forwarders themselves, the, you know, the CIOs or the tech departments, they just need to look at you know, becoming more familiar with the API world mm-hmm. and talking. You know, they have to understand that you're not, just, you know, you're not designing something or trying to incorporate something that looks at like a master airway, but you're looking at into an ERP solution. I think once they understand that, it's relatively straightforward. And then they use people like Chain.io because you understand it, right? So that well, don't try and build it. Use the third parties that are able there and already do this for them. Right? It's just a mindset change. It's not fundamentally they're still doing the same thing. There's a position of movement from A to B or A to B, C, D, and E, but it's the technology that enables a lot more stickiness with that customer because you're giving them an environment that they work in themselves internally every day. So one of the things that I saw across my career with this is, you know, if we were in a freight company and you know across several of them that you'd always have like one or two salespeople who could sell this yeah 
and everyone else who just wanted to show up and quote another 40 from Shanghai to LA. And that is really a different skill set in a salesperson who's going to help a customer build a proposal for their CFO about how they're going to take the company, the BCO, in a better direction versus I am 18 cents cheaper per kilo than than the guy down the street. So. It's wildly different, and you're not wrong. But it, you know, if you get that right skill set in the business, you know, you can form. A, it doesn't have to be a massive department. You just get one or two people that understand, and you don't try and sell it by yourself. You go in as a team. No one person ever wins everything all the time, anyway. It's, it's pointless, right? So you have technical salespeople that understand the supply chain. You go in because it's about. It's still about relationships. The relationship's never going to change, right? The relationship you have with that initial sales guy. We bring in a, a broader team that help you sell you know, a much broader suite of services. You know, the stickiness you get with your customer, you show that you care about them more, you know, and it's not just about 18 cents or you know, $25 on a container. You get so much more, and you're getting to understand their business. You live and breathe as if you are the customer. So let me change gears on here for a second. Why start a company? Yeah, that was a really good question. Right. So it's the worst question. <laughs> yeah. And I think at my age, right? As uh, I was like mid forties, but I didn't say it. <laughs> um, I, I just couldn't see, and, and I've worked in the environment when I was in the retail days, where I was bringing technology on, bringing technology not only into the retailer that I was working for, but I was putting this particular company on our buying floor and saying, right, if you want to understand SEM, go and work. This is what they do every day. This is the lowest denominator of work now. So, you know, for the last 20 odd years, I still haven't seen that evolve. So I decided to set gravity up to try and enable that for, for more and more people because, you know, the role of the freight forwarder, logistics provider, 3PL, 4PL is never going to go away. You just need to offer a bigger and deeper suite of services. So I hadn't seen anything out there, nothing compelling that really went into the detail that I really want to go into with Gravity, where I'm taking Gravity as part of the vision. So, yeah, I set the company up to try and, you know, bring some more technical and platform-led businesses into the environment where I think the world needs to be, which is down at the order level. So one of the things, Graham, that I experienced as a freight forwarder was sometimes we would have to participate with BCOs who were using systems like Gravity, where Oftentimes we were trying to sell them something competing and there might be internal frustration or a company that, oh, why are they using this third party tool? And, you know, and in the long term, you know, what we learned was like being a good participant with your customer's ecosystem is important. But what advice might you have for forwarders who have to work with third party systems and you know, how do they best be a good partner to the BCOs? Yeah, I mean, I would not hesitate to, you know, data is essential, right? In any other supply chain, it's uh you have to give your customer the action. You know, they're looking for insights, right? They're looking for actionable insights and data is the only way you can truly get that. So, you know, you shouldn't be frightened to participate, you know, into another, even if you've got your own platform, like share the data with the platform of choices. There really is no issues there. I mean, we've actually got a 4PL solution built into Gravity. So, and we've got quite a few scenarios where, uh, you know, we're working with one customer or one client one BCO end user, and we're working with you know, six, seven, eight different logistics providers. And at the beginning, it's relatively tough for them to accept. But you know, at the end of the day, you've got to keep providing for your customer, right? You've got to serve the customer. You've got to give them the data. So yeah, don't be frightened of it. It's, uh, and also, it's a great sales toy. You've got a solution where you can go to a customer, any customer, you know, a new customer, go and try and win a customer. You've got the solution. And you might only want, you know, they might only give you or award you 30 or 40% of the physical movement or the logistics part. 
having the ability to go in with a system-led solution is a lot more powerful than just trying to manage freight. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, so I posted like a week or two ago on LinkedIn about an opinion that I have that your culture is defined as much by how you act with your competitors in front of the customer as how you treat the customer themselves. And, you know, kind of curious as to, you know, since you see this situation of six or seven or eight freight providers who have to interact and, you know, participate in this platform and may be doing different roles, even on the same shipment, you know, does that ring true to you? Does that, am I full of it? No, I think you're spot on and you're right. You do see it. I saw it in my previous life as well. One of my retail days when I had three, four, five different uh, LSPs coming in and they've all got this ego around them and they all think they can do something bigger and different, right? At the end of the day, your customer is key, right? And the customer serves the consumer. So you've got to do what's right by them. So it's frightening. And I read your post and you're, you're absolutely right. But there shouldn't be, you know, this whole standoff. Work as one, right? The more you get stickier with customer, the more you give your customer, the more they're going to want to give you more food further down the line. If you start putting up resistance, it's the quickest way to lose your customer, certainly. So what do you think the next big things are for the industry? You've been through, a, we're in a down cycle now, and you've been through ups and downs, right, as of I. Kind of, what do you think are some of the things that you have your eye on is interesting? The most immediate thing is the data is still, in certain aspects of the end-to-end, especially around the ports and some of the carrier data you're getting, it's getting better. And I think the immediate thing is this will continue to improve, right? So I think, you know, the port infrastructures, you know, the port owners and that infrastructure, they are you know, they're able to give more and more. So I think that side of things will improve significantly. You know, carriers are talking about putting smart containers in. So, you know, you have to assume that data will get better. I think IoT is becoming a lot more affordable. Uh, it's coming a lot smarter. You know, you can do cellular, you can do GPS, you can do Bluetooth all on a label now. So when that gets down to a certain price point, then I'm talking cents really, you know, that's going to change the industry quite, quite dramatically. It's just from a visibility of the tracking of the data side of things. And obviously AI, the chat, chatbots and stuff that are coming out now so there's a huge amount to look forward to but you just we've got to get into that role of accepting data trusting data and then getting in and allowing it to be part of your day job to and allowing you to make decisions and using the the actionable insights that come from that data and drive that into the business and then marry that up to demand patterns you know bcos and shippers are really good at looking at what their customer portfolio you know, et cetera. And they're really good at understanding the demand cycles and patterns that say, okay, we need to buy X, Y, and Z and and move that through the supply chain. But what they're not good at is linking that or having enough insights to link the actual physical supply chain back into those demand forecasts. So I I can see a lot of clever stuff coming around in that. I mean, there's there's a lot, lot more, but I'm trying to stick to, you know, the stuff that I can see on the immediate horizon right here. What do you think is maybe something that we're not paying attention to or not doing well as an industry that's frustrating to you? There's many things that are frustrating to me. I think the true understanding of what visibility truly is, right? So, you know, I see some people with some huge marketing spends talking about end-to-end. The word real-time really annoys me somewhat. But yeah, there's a lot of things that frustrate me in that world. Because one of the biggest frustrations for me, Brian, is why would you not want to give your customer and all of the internal stakeholders and external stakeholders visibility at the level they work to that's hugely frustrating and then seeing some of the rtv guys talking about they deliver end-to-end solutions and it's real time and it's down at the order level no it's not and the frustration is people buy it and then they get frustrated because they haven't got what they thought they were sold that frustrates the hell out of me right because the devil's in the details (laughs) i just if you ask the pertinent questions you'll probably find out that it's not actually what you want 
assuming, of course, you know what it is your business needs. That's an interesting point. And I think there's a huge gulf between, say, the top 5% of BCOs and everyone else. For sure. Right. You go into the Walmarts and the Nestle's of the world, you know, they know what they want and they know, you know, just give me the data and I'll do something with it. And I've got an army of data scientists. You drop out of that top few percent. And frankly, most of them are just looking for a glorified spreadsheet. And there's a lot of market education that has to happen as you walk down that long tail. Teach them what they want. <laughs> so, I mean, you commented on a post and you, you said, you know, if you've got minus 1,000 containers, you can probably manage it on the spreadsheet, right? And then there's that gap between you know, 1,001 and maybe, say, up to 50,000 containers. I can't remember that number you put. And that's the sweet spot, right? These are the guys that can do so much more. And the opportunity is there. It's rife. It's massive. And, and you're right. In that top 5%, they've already got it. They've got an army of data scientists, like you say. So, you know, it's just making sure that people understand that there is a huge amount of data that you really can access and, you know, really analyze not only make decisions on to correct, you know, risk in the supply chain, but then look further into your way you run the business and look at the demand, look at the supply chain, look at the factories, you know, how you're going to source and, and then bring that back to working capital. That's one of the things I'm really trying to push on on Gravity is, you know, we've got a view that shows you the committed dollar spend of that PO throughout the entire life cycle of that PO from creation all the way through to delivered. And then, you know, if you can, you know, CFO is looking at how can I save 1% of my working capital and get into the data, get into the supply chain visibility and then bring financing into this. It's, there's a huge amount, so much more that you can do, but it's just frustrating that people can't even start with the basics. It gets back to that salesperson question of like, who's selling it? So we had a, this is actually a true story from inside of Chain.io. We went into a relatively large BCO. But they were a commodity BCO. They weren't in retail. They didn't do all of this kind of stuff. And their IT department could not understand why spending, you know, it was, I think it was $100,000 with us to integrate better to their freight providers mattered because they did a time study of what their employees were spending to send these god-awful spreadsheets out to the freight providers. And it was like, oh, we're saving, you know, 10 minutes a day. Like, why would we spend $100,000 a year to save 10 minutes a day? They said, well, go back and ask your CFO what it would mean to him yep. if he could sell the product that you are producing five days earlier yep. on average because you're selling it at departure of the vessel and you're burning time with these freight forwarders where they're doing all this work to collect paperwork and it's costing you five days per shipment. Absolutely. Right. And ask him what the value is of those five days. And the next day we got a phone call. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're signing the contract today. Yeah, exactly. That framing, right, working capital. And it's something that I don't know that a lot of people in our industry understand is how to talk to a CFO about the knock-on impact of what we do and how it really impacts everyone. No, you're absolutely right. And margin, right? And you know, protecting markdowns. You know, if you could lose your markdown by, say, 5 or 6% on a per-season basis. I mean, people ask me, you know, where's my ROI? I said, well, I don't know. You, you go back and ask your CFO. If you're, like, to your point, if you're selling this five days early, you've got 5% less markdown and 1% on your working capital. I mean, you tell me what your ROI is. And if you still can't sign for 100 grand, we've got a problem, right? Yeah, <laughs> you're not the right profile for us. <laughs> so exactly, sick be a spreadsheet and good luck. Yes. Well, on that note, you know, I think we're getting up on time here. So, I uh, really appreciate you know you joining us today. And can you just let everyone know where they can find you, how they can get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. So, again, Brian, thanks for the opportunity. My name's Graham Parker. We're at GravitySupplyChain.com. We do work a hell of a lot with freight forwarders. 
LSPs, 3PLs, 4PLs, and BCOs as well. So, yeah, big opportunity. We're not scared. We're there to help. Thanks so much for joining us. Great. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Thanks so much to Graham for all of those insights. One of the things that I particularly enjoyed that we spoke about in that interview was the connection of the value you're bringing to the financial metrics and what matters to a CFO and how to get that value translated into real progress. If you want to learn more about that, if you visit the Chain.io blog, we have a great article called Buy Versus Build, How Logistics Service Providers Maximize Tech ROI, where we talk about exactly that, how to think about whether you're building tech or buying tech and the value it's going to create and the financial incentives to either buy or build. So uh, check that out, blog.chain.io, and we'll catch up next time. Thank you. Thank you.